Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1. Hello again. Well, the arrival of people looking for international protection from Ukraine or those from other countries seeking the same was high on the agenda at a gathering of EU leaders this week. And the upshot of that summit was near unanimous agreement that borders must be tightened, walls must be built and the flow of thousands of migrants into Europe must be reduced to a more manageable volume. Let's hear what Tishuk Leo Varadkar had to say from Brussels. I, I, I think when it comes to migration, we need to be uh, fair and firm and hard. We need to be fair with refugees because refugees are welcome in Ireland and people who need our protection should get it. We also need to be firm with people who um, come to Ireland uh, with a false story or false pretenses. We need to be firm with them uh, and say that we are going to uh, make a quick decision on your application uh, and that uh, we will return you to your country of origin. People expect that. Uh, And we also need to be hard on human traffickers because uh, we should decide who enters our country, um, not criminal gangs. And this is an issue that all of Europe is grappling with and we need to come up with solutions to deal with it together. And that was Tisha Leo Varadkar uh, speaking in Brussels earlier during the week. Sean Fleming, Leo Varadkar said to Mick Barry from People Before Profit that he was playing into the hands of the hard right unintentionally by raising the housing issue as something that might be driving some of the protests we're seeing around the country. But on the, on the grander level in Europe... Isn't the same thing happening, that domestic political pressures that people are facing in their own home countries are driving policies like the European Union to pay Turkey $3.5 to stop migrants moving through the country, to pay Sudan for the equipment of border guards that stop people moving over their borders, and even looking into free movement of people in Africa in other countries as well? Yeah, well, Europe has always had a policy of protecting its borders and what we've seen and what you've referred to is in place a number of years where certain countries in Europe were seen as a gateway from other continents and EU and countries like Turkey have long-standing agreements in place to deal with those issues so that uh, migrants, there's not a free flow into the EU. That has always been a European policy. But in relation to Ireland, we, we can best manage our own situation when they do arrive in Ireland, that they do get fair entitlement to state their case and put their firm rules in place and that ultimately if they're entitled to stay here they should stay here and if their um, application is rejected they they are required to leave the country and that's normal under the Geneva Convention. All right, Sir Clark, take any issue with that? actually take great issue with what the Taoiseach had to say when he was over in Europe because he seems to make these off-the-cuff statements and particularly about be, around that term of being firm but at the same time he actually fails to resource the unit that deals with asylum appeals to do their job properly. I mean the staffing levels in that department have fallen 8% since 2019 the, and we've seen this time and time again from government. It isn't anything new this level of failure. It's just simply moved on to a different topic. Now the state has a legal obligation to process the applications from those seeking international protection and we have an obligation to secure our borders as well but what we also need to make that happen is a thought out coherent plan and a system that actually works. Alright and what does that look like briefly in your opinion? Well in my opinion it looks like an IPAS <coughs> sorry excuse me Colm, it looks like an IPAS service that has the required number of staffing available to do the jobs. We don't need to see people being pulled from other departments on a temporary basis to be put into that unit. The 
what we also need to see is asylum applications being processed speedily. And, and yes, if there are people who don't qualify, then they should be deported. But the length of time that it's taking from one application to be made to a final decision being made is simply not good enough. And this is nothing new, Colin. Remember, we have been speaking on this for a nigh on 20 years at this point. All right. OK, Richard O'Donoghue, what's, what did you make of what the Taoiseach had to say? Listen, a lot of what the Taoiseach says is off the cuff. A lot of what he says, he never, he never carries out and never follows it through. We've signed up for the Ukrainian people to come into this country, the women and the children, the vulnerable. That's what we signed up for. We have 3,000 have come into this country since the start of this year and 1,437 were looking for, uh, seeking international protection outside of that. So that. That's since the start of this year. For the time to get them processed... I think it's 10 a week is all they're able to process at the moment. So how long is it going to take to process the people that are not Ukrainian in this country? It's going to take years for them to process them. And they're 100% right. This needs to be staffed. It needs to be firm for the people that are, are, that are coming to this country, that they're, they're welcome from asylum seekers, that are here for help. People that come in for the wrong reasons, that they, they should be firm for them and send them back home. Right. And, but that obviously... It remains to be adjudicated by by the appropriate services. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I want to bring in Stephen Kerwin, who's head of immigration at the human rights law firm KOD Lyons. Uh, Stephen, thanks for joining us this afternoon. No problem, Colin. Thanks very much. Well, what do you make of the new approach to speed up the asylum process for those so-called safe countries? And the eight countries on the list are Albania, Bosnia-Herzegovina, um, North Macedonia, Georgia, Kosovo, Montenegro, Serbia and South Africa. Yeah, again, I mean, speaking, I suppose, purely in a personal capacity rather than on behalf of the profession as a whole, um, I I do think that not much issue is taken with the idea of necessarily uh, accelerating the process for for most people who are waiting, in some cases, three, four or five years from start to finish in terms of finalising their international protection cases. The slippery slope we have with looking at this idea of the safe country of origin is, is, is the impulse to not apply fair procedures. And we've had the High Court and the Court of Appeal in this jurisdiction on many occasions basically handing down very, very firm directions in relation to the fact that fair procedures still need to be followed. And I mean, absolutely seems to be the sentiment amongst everyone that we want a, a, certainly a system that, that expedites claims, but also that it has to be dealt with in a fair way and that someone isn't being penalised because they are deemed to be from what is considered a safe country. So just we explain that, fact, the, the, the idea mm-hmm. under the law is it that if somebody comes from a particular country, doesn't necessarily disqualify them from seeking asylum. Every case is treated no, no. on its individual merits. Is that the case? Well, it should be treated on its individual merits. And what we're seeing is cases where blanket policy is being applied. Just to explain, a safe country of origin shifts the presumption. Uh, And what that basically means is that if you are from, let's say, Georgia or South Africa or from Albania, it's assumed that that country is safe and that your, your case is manifestly unfounded and should be rejected. But we know based on country of origin information reports, based on the, the, our own internal statistics in terms of grants of asylum, that actually a number of people are. And there are prima facie cases from n- numerous jurisdictions, including the likes of Georgia and Albania, even though they're deemed to be safe or presumed to be, that there are absolutely individual circumstances whereby refugee status should be granted and has been granted. All right. Even though they're EU applicant countries, what kind of situations are you talking about pertaining in those countries that people might be trying to get away from? 
so, so to, to give an example, again, we, 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 South Africa um, w- would be an example of indiscriminate violence. I mean, there's plenty of country of origin information reports about the levels of indiscriminate violence faced there. Um, with, with with Georgia and Albania, there are, first of all, laws in relation to LGBT rights, um, certainly domestic violence claims where the state has been unable or unwilling to protect victims of domestic violence. With Albania, I mean, it's well known about, the, you know, issues in relation to blood feuds, for example, and the influence of the mafia. Uh, and there are cases, for example, where even though there's this designated idea that they're safe country of origins, no one can objectively or reasonably say that they are safe for people in those situations. Right. And I suppose the, the fallacy is that you designate someone as a, from a safe country and that ultimately you don't apply those fair procedures, you don't consider their applications in full, and yes, they are very dangerous in, in, in particular certain circumstances. And under the law as it stands, like when a political promise of speeding up the process is made... If somebody who wants to appeal a deportation order under a speeded up process, is that going to fall foul of the courts if they deem there to be shortcuts taken? When you say shortcuts, I suppose, Cullum, it's not that you can't have an accelerated procedure. That's perfectly fine. But what you can't do is deny someone a right to to a completely fair procedure. So, for example, denying someone a right to an oral hearing in certain circumstances may fall foul of the law because, you know, there could be very good reasons as to why, you know, credibility needs to be reassessed and needs to be done in otherwise than on the papers, for example. All right. um, and, and there may be, as I say, numerous different reasons as to why sometimes uh, there can be an unsafeness, I guess, with, with, with adhering very slavishly to an accelerated procedure. Okay. And the courts have pointed that out yeah, on a uh, number of occasions. And the staffing issue that uh, that was mentioned there um, in, in, in IPAS, the um, International Protection mm. Assessment Service, it, how do you, what, what kind of a, a barrier does that prevent, uh, present to kind of the efficient working of the system in your experience over the last 10 years? Yeah, I suppose in terms of IPAS, um, really, I guess the difficulty is, and I suppose we all have to accept that there is, and again, whatever political failure we want to point to, that there is obviously a crisis of resources, certainly at the moment in terms of the jurisdiction. Uh, Resource-wise, one of the difficulties that we're finding is a two-track system between Ukrainian refugees uh, and certainly those who are here under the temporary protection director from Ukraine, and, and everyone else and ultimately all other applicants that are there. So um, it is causing massive practical difficulties and the courts are going to have to grapple with, certainly in the next couple of months, um, some very, very significant decisions in relation to the reception conditions directive. Right. We have a couple of cases from European uh, courts, uh, particularly from Belgium, where the European uh, courts have actually made certain rulings in relation to the ability to provide accommodation. So um, it'll be interesting to see how how that pans out. Uh, And finally, just very briefly, we've heard this issue of people uh, arriving at the terminal in Dublin Airport, having boarded a plane with documents, arriving at the terminal in Dublin Airport with no documents. Firstly, in your experience, why does that happen? And secondly, what barrier or what drag does that present to trying to assess the claims of those who present with no documents? Well, it was interesting to hear the Taoiseach in, in, in the soundbite mention about uh, human trafficking. And one thing that, that, that certainly we see on the coalface um, is a huge prevalence of trafficking claims where someone will pay someone 
possibly in some cases under false pretenses to get them out of a very dangerous situation. They're handed a false passport. That passport is then handed over to the trafficker before they get to Dublin Airport. Then they arrive at the terminal and are, and are faced with, with not having documents. So I don't think it is the narrative that's portrayed by some people um, in, in the media that, you know, that there's people boarding a Ryanair flight without a passport. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's simply preposterous to suggest that that, that, that position, you know, applies. OK. All right. Stephen Kerwin from uh, KOD Lions, uh, Human Rights Lawyers. Thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, Sean Fleming, what do you say to the assertion from Stephen Fleming that it's not simply good enough to assess people on the country they come from as a designated safe country? I mean, it does, does a promise of speeding up these applications wash when there's a shortage of staff and that kind of an approach might fall foul of the courts? Um, what I will say is I think all countries are entitled to have rules and look at the countries people are coming from as to know is there a real war situation in their countries and if there is um, we can understand why people have to flee for their own health and safety and life Um, but there are countries where he mentioned there are feuds within families there are feuds within organised crime gangs um, and they should in some way be able to walk straight in here because of those difficulties we call it domestic or violent issues you know within different groups in their own country but generally the country can be safe so um, I think Ireland is entitled to as other countries are, are to have this arrangement in place looking at the safe country is there really a problem in your country if there isn't you're an isolated case when you do arrive here but Georgia, Algeria and Somalia are the three main countries that we have deemed safe countries Somalia, um, a safe country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somalia as well. Um, different parts of Somalia. That's one of the three. And Somalia, where there's a, a civil war being fought between yeah, Al-Shabaab and, and a very shaky government. Yeah, and, and there are a number of countries Where female Africa. genital mutilation is widespread. Fine. And that's why when they do arrive, there is a procedure that they will get access. And if they the speeded up process is taking some shortcuts that has to be corrected but we're entitled to have a speeded up process what everybody says is people who come are entitled to fair treatment have their case examined they're entitled to know approximately how long it's going to take and Ireland is entitled to have a reasonable period to deal with and make a decision some of those countries that were always taken up to about two years under this procedure which is just starting it can be done in a matter of months rather than a matter of years but still is is subject to court. All right. Um, Richard O'Donoghue, the, the merits of people's quest for safety, do you draw any distinction between people leaving Ukraine and people coming from any other part of the world? The people from Ukraine, we can see fr- from the wars out that they're coming in here for, for safe refuge. And as I say, we signed up for, for women, children, vulnerable people from Ukraine and, and 100%. Other people that are fleeing here, some of them maybe for, for good reason, but we have a lot of people that are coming here from also for the wrong reasons. If we have the things in place where the people, for a genuine reason, they're coming here from another international country. How do you assess somebody's motives, though? Well, that's where you come in for the situation. And you're talking about oral hearings and you're talking about speeding up the process. If you have the staff that come in here and if they rely on an international stage that Ireland is asking the questions, you're being processed, 
if you're a genuine case and you come to an oral hearing and say, yes, you have a, uh, you are a genuine case, we'll let you know. But if the, there is no process for that at the moment. So you could be here for three or four years for the wrong reasons and not be processed. Whereas if there is a situation that there is a process in place where they can actually vet these and the people that are genuinely here for to be safe are safe and the people are here for the wrong reasons, send them home. All right. Uh, Circa Clark, there has been... I suppose nobody has, no constituency has been free from protests of varying stripes. What particular elements of the protests have you, are, are, do you have concerns about uh, in your constituency? And where do you think there is a fair case to answer for people who express their concerns? I think the vast majority of concerns that are being expressed are, are actually fair. I think the issue is, is that those genuine questions are being ignored by government. And um, we have to be very clear here, Colm. I passed London into any area and um, taking over buildings um, for other individuals is nothing new. They actually done it in horse sleep in Westmead a number of years ago. They a very small rural community and nobody knew anything about it. The, there are absolute frustrations within communities, the length and breadth of this country, and they are well-founded frustrations. We have a housing crisis. We have a cost of living crisis. We have all of these things at once. We have a very small number of people who are in that negative political space. What the other, what many of people object to here is the fact that their government simply aren't hearing what it is that they're saying and what their concerns are. And it's boiling over into a situation that's becoming much more um, evident across the country. But we need to be very clear here. It wasn't refugees or migrants who put one million people on our hospital waiting lists. It wasn't them either. They left over 165,000 houses empty in the middle of a housing crisis not them who are profiting from energy and food bills but government needs to step up here now I listened to what the minister had to say there a few minutes ago and to my mind it seems as if he wishes to rewrite the criteria for applying for asylum in this country to simply being one from a war-torn area that is not true now if the minister is proposing to reform the system that's in place he needs to bring that to the door of the floor or the floor of the door with a very coherent right. plan I just I'll come back to you Sean Fleming mm-hmm. on that but I do want to get uh, all your views you briefly um, sorry Clark first to the report that was on a drive time during the week where on, based on numbers released from uh, in, in answer to a question by Gary Gannon the Social Democrats TD it showed a kind of a, a patchy spread of where people were going with some of the poorer communities in, in the country taking a greater share of people seeking international protection than people from wealthier areas. Sorka Clark. Oh, sorry. Apologies, Colin. Yes, Colm. not at all. The, first, yeah, yeah. No, and you were absolutely correct. And, and in these communities, and remember, some of these communities are those that they themselves are under the most economic pressure. They have reached out their hand to support and they've stepped up to fill a gap. Also created this gap in services for those seeking international protection has been created by government because of that fundamental instinct. And when you sit down and when you look and see where it is and the conditions that people are being housed in, you do really have to ask yourself, is is this fit for purpose? And in many cases, I would say no, not while there are other alternatives available. Right. To my mind, Roderick O'Gorman, column here, has really been left to handle this all by himself. He, you see calls coming out from his department to other departments in government. That shouldn't need to be all a right. public I, I, call I, I or to even to sporting groups. Uh, Richard O'Donoghue, the, 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 the spread of people, the communities have been asked to support people. There's been, I suppose, the, the example of a Jury's Hotel in Balls Bridge being pointed out. But it's not the only facility in, in the country. Should people be housed there or does the principle of consultation apply equally across all communities? Consultation applies. If you look at any place where, where there was people uh, housed from Ukraine, 
in areas. Once the area itself was informed and there were the community council, whatever, were informed within the areas, people were integrated into those areas and there has been very little problems. The problem here is there is nobody telling you 150 people arriving tomorrow morning and they're just landed. People are scared of that. You inform people, you tell them what's coming, they'll prepare for it and they'll help. But if you don't inform them and you drop people on their doorsteps, of course they're going to be scared. Sean Fleming, is there a case for greater government action, the likes of what Michael McDougall, the former Justice Minister, was calling for, of actually taking control of facilities, the likes of of juries, and making sure people can be housed there to get out of this emergency? Well, I think the criticism that has been made up to now has has been fair and reasonable, and people were getting shocks with a lot of people arriving in in their area unbeknownst to everybody. However, what has happened in recent times and, and the other people on the panel will know, the local authorities, the local county council are directly now involved in identifying properties, identifying areas that can be brought up to speed quick. So there is much more local involvement in each county than we did have right. before. So, and that's improving. OK, all right. Well, Bertie's back and we're back with him next. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.